Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. That's what he said, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, before I get started, uh, let me remind you a couple of things and, about Holy Communion. And, and the first and foremost is that this is not a United Methodist communion table. This is the Lord's table. Jesus sets this table. You don't have to be a member of this church, any United Methodist church, or any church for that matter. Jesus invites everybody who's willing to come and acknowledge that there's something missing. There's something more that I need that I can't find anywhere else. And if you're willing to just open your heart and say, you know what, I can't, but he can, then come on down when the invitation is given and we invite you uh, to participate. You will be given a little piece of bread. If you'll hold your hands like this, it allows us to, in a very sanitary way, just sort of drop that bread in your hand. We will all have sanitized our hands. And then someone with a glove will give you a little cup of juice. And you can drink the juice and you can drop your empty cup in one of these two baskets right here. There'll be three stations, one here, one here, and one there. No one will escort you. We invite you to come to the one that seems to be nearest where you are. Just remember what you learned in kindergarten, no pushing, no shoving, and there'll be plenty for everybody. So there's no need to worry about it. Um, so please, we invite you to come and be a part of Holy Communion. By the way, if you need gluten-free, there's gluten-free bread right over here at the corner of the platform. And we invite you to just take care of that yourself. Thank you. Now, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Um, you know, it sounds like some of our backyard cookouts, actually, especially if the fireworks go bad. You never know what's going to be involved in that, in that food that you eat. And people have already started that. Um, and, and there's something about, about gathering together and eating together. You know, I, I, and Lynn is, my wife is sitting right down here, and I've probably told this story before, but, you know, we knew each other in high school. We went our separate ways. We came back together again, and when we were dating, um, we were, we had a lot of day dates. We would go to the zoo. We would go to a movie. Maybe, uh, we would do other things. We hadn't really been out to dinner so much, probably a function of the fact that none of, neither of us had any money. So we, we kind of, that was, you know, most of our romantic dinners came from a bag at that point, which, which is fine. But on this one particular day, we'd been dating for some time again, and we had had this wonderful Sunday where we had gone up to Gatlinburg and maybe up even the mountains a little bit. And we had just been together all day. And of all this time we'd been together uh, on these various dates and on this particular day, all this time we'd spent together, we'd never said those three words to each other at this point. So we decided we were going to have our first big romantic dinner. And we went to the original copper cellar, which is down on Cumberland. And it's down underneath. It's not the part up top where you can get $5 burgers, though that's good. But down underneath is dark. It's romantic and it was a very beautiful place to go. And we went there for dinner and we ordered as the cheapest thing on the menu, I think, but we, we, but they brought us bread. And so we had this loaf of bread and it was dark and it was romantic. And we were sitting there waiting for the food, looking at each other and just kind of letting, I think these past months 
sort of settle in. And I just remember we reached over the table, over that bread, and we were holding hands. And almost simultaneously, we looked at each other and said, I love you. And it was, it's still hard for me to talk about. It was just a very beautiful moment. And it didn't happen at those trips to the zoo. It didn't happen walking through Gatlinburg. It didn't happen at the theater. It didn't happen anywhere else. It happened over this meal. There was something about the intimacy of a meal shared together. And in that moment, we experienced this love that just has consumed us ever since through 44 years Uh, almost now 44 years of marriage, just a beautiful thing. And I say all of that to say this, food brings people together. and, And psychologists say it's because we know that we need food. Food is essential for life. And there's something about sharing food together. It, it's a, it, there's a trust there. And, and there's a trust that starts it, and it builds a trust and a level of intimacy. And we start sharing then things that sustain each other's souls, not just the food that sustains our bodies. And, and we do that at 4th of July. That's why, you know, whenever people come over uh, to the house or we have a big party in the cul-de-sac, you're not going to play cards or go over each other's taxes. What are you going to do? You're going to eat. You're going to eat hamburgers and hot dogs or maybe some ribs if somebody gets uh, really industrious. I, I don't know. But you're going to eat together because there's something about that that binds us and makes us feel this unity in such a world that is so divided. And then think about, think about comfort food. What's your favorite comfort food? Somebody just let me, what's your favorite comfort food? What is it? Mac and cheese. cheese. Figure we get that. What else? Come on. Okay. There you go. I mean, we all have these favorite comfort foods and Sometimes our favorite comfort food may not be actually the very best food that we eat in terms of the skill it takes to prepare it or the ingredients that go into it. But if it's mac and cheese or chips or if it's pot roast or if it's meatloaf, that was popular with the last service. Uh, If it's meatloaf or pot roast, the reason why it's comfort food is because we remember when we had it the first time and those people we were with. You know, I'm not, I'll be honest with you, show and tell, I'm not the biggest fan of meatloaf, but when I had meatloaf, every time I do, my mom is standing at the table serving it to me because she made good meatloaf and it reminds me of her. And that's what comfort food does. It takes us to a certain place, to certain people, and that's why it can do for our soul so much more than it even does for our bodies, particularly with some of the comfort foods we eat. Uh, but it's that, it's that connection with people and places. And all of that is kind of running in background as we think about Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood, which I want us to, to, to no longer think of that as something yucky. Because remember, Jesus, Jesus was one to exaggerate. And he always did it to make a point. And so he wasn't saying, no, we're not going to physically eat his flesh and drink his blood. 
but it's something even more powerful and profound. I mean, that's absurd and grotesque, what Jesus said. And yeah, he was probably trying to be a little bit provocative with the people when he said it. He'd love to do that. He'd love to poke the bear just a little bit to get a response, and then he would make a connection. And there's a very important connection theologically to what he said. But I want us to remember this. We love to sit down at a table of our favorite comfort food when we feel physically depleted, our stomachs are empty, uh, our knees are knocking and our hands are trembling because we're so weak and we need food. And many of us came in here today with our souls in that exact same condition. How can you read the news, listen to the news, however it is that you absorb what's going on in the world around us? How can you do that and not feel depleted? So here's what I want you to remember. When your soul is depleted and you don't know where to turn, and that may describe many of us this morning, Jesus has exactly what you need to keep going. And that's not just some platitude coming from a preacher who gets paid to say stuff like that. That's coming from a 68, almost 69-year-old man who has found it to be true in life. I've tried to fill my own depleted soul with everything I could possibly think of over the last 60, almost 69 years, and none of them work. None of them get to that spot. None of them do for me what Jesus can do. So the same is going to be true for all of us. So hang on to that, and let's read this passage, and let's hear these words from Jesus himself as he spoke to this crowd. It's good to remember the context. This came uh, after a feeding, John's version of the, of the feeding of the 5,000 people. Jesus had taken five loaves of bread and two fish and fed 5,000-plus people. And he left and they followed him across the lake. They went around. He went across the lake. They went overland and went around and met him to where he's gone. And he said, you know what? You know what, guys? Well, he didn't say that exactly. But he said, you have, you have followed me here because I gave you food for your stomachs. And then he said something important to him. He said, what I want you to understand is I have much more than that. I am the bread of life. That's where he makes that famous statement, I am the bread of life. And he connects it with the manna that God poured out from heaven. When Moses was leading the people of Israel, for many of you have been on this walk through the Bible with us, and you may remember that story from Exodus. And for those of you, you've probably heard the story before, where Moses led the people in, leading them toward the promised land, and they were grumbling, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. It sounds like every road trip we've ever been on from the backseat, I'm hungry. And that's what they were saying, I'm hungry, let's stop at McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, oh shoot, it's Sunday, we can't. Oh well, McDonald's, Burger King. And then, and then that's what they were doing. And so God sent this manna, this beautifully wonderful flaky stuff that fell from the sky that, that, that satisfied their hunger, but only temporarily. He couldn't hoard it, couldn't keep it. He, only, he gave them just enough for that day because he wanted them to trust him. And so what Jesus is saying is, and he's talking mostly to Jewish people here. And he says, you know, yeah, your ancestors ate the manna from God. Well, guess what? Guess what, y'all? I am the ultimate expression of that. And so that's why this starts with this passage, that, this verse that says, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves because Jesus had just said, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they said. 
Always important to remember, by the way, that when he says Jews, he's not disparaging all the Jewish people because John, who wrote the gospel, guess what? Jew. Jesus. Jew. So, you know, they were, they were most all Jewish at that point. And they're not making fun or disparaging their own people. But there was a small subset of Jewish people who were uh, antagonizing Jesus all along the way. And it's never lost on me that the people Jesus had the harshest words for were the religious professionals. And boy, that's on my heart every time I, I stand up to preach. I'm hoping that Jesus isn't calling me a whitewashed tomb or calling Will and Brooke and Mike and me a brood of vipers or something, you know, because that's, that's what he called some of the religious professionals of the day. So let's make sure we understand that. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him or her. Just as the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And Jesus is even equating this to the relationship he had with the father. By eating his flesh and drinking his blood, we can have that same relationship with him. So what on earth is he talking about? As I mentioned, he is in this passage, he's interpreting that meal that he gave to the 5,000 people. And he started off with this example of bread, how the manna, you know, nurtured the people. And now he's saying, I am, I am that bread, me, my person. And, and this is, this is really, I think, important to understanding this, why he made such a big deal out of the flesh and blood and, and this idea of eating him. Again, remember eating food, this, there's this idea of intimacy. There were lots of rabbis that would pass through, lots of people that had good ideas. And there were lots of people in those days that had good ethical ideas for life. And, you know, we, should, we can take wisdom from wherever we can find it. But Jesus was so much more than that. Jesus was the only one who had ever come along that said, you know what, I don't, I don't bring you a message from God. I am God. And when he says, the, you must eat the flesh of the Son of Man, that's what he's saying to them. I am, in fact, God. But I have come in flesh and blood to live and die as you do so that you can live forever like I will. See, see we're, we have the benefit of being post-crucifixion people. We understand ultimately what he was talking about. They didn't yet, but he was trying to get them to understand. You have an opportunity in me, Jesus is saying, to have a living relationship with God, intimate, the most intimate relationship you can imagine you can have with God through me, which blew them away. And that was probably uh, more provocative to them even than eating my flesh and drinking my blood, the fact that he's equating himself with God. But in fact, he was, as John, the gospel writer, starts his gospel out with 
Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he talks about how the, the one who came, the Word, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, who, is, who was Jesus for 30-some-odd years in flesh and blood, how he created everything. And he can recreate everything as well. And he's recreating in this moment the whole idea of what it means to have an intimate relationship with God. Now, sometimes this can be misconstrued. Jesus wasn't saying that, and, and I think this is kind of important when we come to this table. Jesus wasn't saying that if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, that is what is going to, that's what's going to get you resurrected in the end time. It's more than that. Now, this, this table not only is a reminder of that, but it's a participation in this recurring. I believe, you know, as Paul the Apostle once said, I work, work out your salvation every day. And I think that we, I, I don't know about you, but I, I need to be saved several times every day. Even though I'm not saying that I'm losing my salvation in, in those moments. But I need that fresh vision of Jesus. I need that fresh burst of the Holy Spirit in my life so that I can live the way I'm supposed to. And so it's not that this meal will bring us salvation initially. It's that eating this meal keeps us participating in his ongoing salvation and presence with us. Let me put it this way. Eating this bread and drinking the wine does not initiate the relationship, but it reveals the nature, the very nature of our relationship in Christ Jesus. The nature of our relationship is that Jesus has the one thing that we need that nobody else can give us. And he offers it to us freely, continually there. And every time we eat this meal, we are participating in that. I'll bring up something that I brought up in a class in between services that I've said before probably, and that is we, we view Holy Communion as a sacrament. And what is a sacrament? A sacrament, as I was taught in seminary, is simply something you can touch and see, like bread or juice, that points toward something you can't touch or see, but helps you understand it more fully. And this professor I had, Don Saliers, Dr. Don Saliers, he, would all, he, he, he talked about the American flag. He said, when you see the American flag billowing against a beautiful blue sky, you point at it, and you don't say, well, there's the United States of America. No, the United States of America is 50 states and 14 territories spread out all over the globe. But when you point at that, what, what's, you don't just say, that's the flag of the United States of America. If you're an American, you say, that's my flag. And you somehow participate in that. I'm a part of that. And it does something to you. And this table, when, when, to put it in our terms, to eat the flesh of Jesus, to drink the blood of Jesus, is to participate in his life at that level. We're part of him. Look, when we come to this table, we're not remembering that Jesus ate with some people 2,000 years ago. Yeah, that happened. 
You know, on the night that he was arrested and he, was, he transformed the Passover meal into what we now celebrate as Holy Communion. Yeah, that happened 2,000 years ago. But we're not just remembering that. He had a meal with some people 2,000 years ago. We are celebrating the fact that he is having a meal with us right now. This is not a museum piece. This is not some representation of something that happened a long time ago. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are experiencing communion, fellowship, unity, presence with Jesus in a way we can't any other way in real time. That's why he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And that's so important as we turn off our news feed because we've just read again how more civilians have been killed in a rocket attack in Ukraine and how people now more people are going to starve in the world because they can't get the grain out of Ukraine to feed them and that other people are being held and people are hungry and people are oppressed and in this country there's so much discord and so much division and so much injustice yet to right for sure. And we, and we become depleted. And after two plus years of COVID and, and, and antidepressants are being prescribed now at five times the rate they were before COVID. And people are dealing with anxiety and depression because, and, and that's the result of that. And, and people are taking their own life and families are separating and people are having all sorts of relationship issues and other issues because of it. And we come in depleted and we don't know what to do. Think about this. When those 5,000 people stood in front of Jesus that day prior to him saying this, he said he was going to feed them, but they're like, What? What are you going to feed us? There does not appear to be any food here. That's what they're thinking. What are you going to feed us? There appears to be nothing for us to eat. And when we find ourselves in our life where we don't know where we're going to turn to fill our depleted souls, and so we turn to drugs, alcohol, sex, power, uh, improper or out-of-balance relationships, or whatever it is we do when we reach to fill our own need, because we don't think there's anything out there, remember this. When you don't know which way to turn, turn to Jesus, who has exactly what you need. And to give you one more example, we have five grandchildren and we have a little granddaughter who's just past three now. And she loves to come to grandma and grandpa's house because Lynn spoils her. I draw a hard line, but <laughs> Lynn spoils her. It's terrible. She's going, yeah, push over. But, but her name is Nora and uh, she, as both our girls, uh, uh, nurse breastfed their children and Nora is still occasionally breastfeeding um, mommy milk she calls it and and here's my point about that she was at the house last Sunday and we had been out we went on an outing went to a playground we'd had all this fun together and they were back at the house and Lynn had gone to the store to get something and so Anna Lynn her older sister was I think playing a game on my iPad and Nora had been in our living, uh, right by the couch, doing something, and she wandered off. I kind of lost track of her. And I went, I, I looked around, I looked in our bedroom, 
and she was there near a piece of Lynn's clothing. And I don't know if she could just, Lynn wears this wonderful, this wonderful perfume that mixes with her scent. And it's very unique and it's very wonderful. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here, mommy's here, Lynn's right there under mommy. And my, Lynn was gone. And I went, I said, Nora, what's on? And boy, the lip was starting to pout. And she looked at me and she said, I want, I want mommy. I know what she was really saying. I want mommy milk. Because that's, that's her port in a storm. And Christy, will, Christy can soothe her that way that nobody else can. Because nobody, there's not another person on the planet that can do for Nora what mommy can. Mommy has something. Ah, there's other breast milk. And people are trading breast milk now to deal with this formula shortage. And that's wonderful. But it's not the same as a child nursing their mama. It's the ultimate intimate meal or so much more than just nourishment is passed. And that's what she needed. And this is what you need. And this is what I need. Jesus has something for our souls. Nobody else has. And when you feel depleted, if you feel depleted this morning, Know this, this is his flesh that he encourages us to eat. We remember about his body broken on the cross. This is his flesh, his blood that we drink. We remember his sacrifice, how his blood was spilled so that we could then have everything we need literally in us when we eat this meal to participate in his life, death, and resurrection so that we can be restored. So I don't know. I don't know where you're coming from today when you come down here. I don't know what's going on. I know this. Whatever the need is, it can be filled here. For those who are going to serve, please come down. And let us pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for these simple gifts of bread and juice. Oh God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, make them be for us in this moment, the body and blood of Christ, that we in turn might be the body of Christ, redeemed, renewed, restored by his blood, that we may go out into the world and live as redeemed, restored people that others may see and know and taste how good you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.